listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we'll reflect on a year of travels. The Getting Smart team visits a lot of schools, well north of 100 in just this past year. They are primarily public urban schools, and about half are purpose-built schools opened in the last 20 years, and the other half are at least partially transformed schools. More than half are district schools, some are charter schools, and a few are private schools. They almost all have some sort of next-generation characteristics, including personalized and competency-based learning. Most incorporate project-based learning, and many encourage design thinking and maker activities. We've learned a lot from these school visits. In fact, we think they are the best form of professional learning out there. In this podcast, Tom and Emily discuss and summarize 10 lessons from this year's school visits. Let's listen in. Hi, Emily. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. We're both uh, traveling around visiting schools. I'm in Phoenix today. uh, Just finished some school visits. I'm headed to D.C. to investigate some really learner-centered schools myself. Emily, we uh, both agree that school visits are just uh, the, the most important form of professional learning. They've really been transformative for both of us and for for many people. Uh, why, do, why do you think they're so important? I think as being a longtime educator that you really can't envision what's possible unless you see it and hear it and feel it and talk with those people who are on the ground doing it, um, experiencing the challenges as well as the rewards from trying something new. How do you summarize what uh, we look for in school visits? It's funny you ask. Every time we start the tour, then people say, Emily and Tom, how do you choose these schools? <laughs> you know, and why are you going to these particular schools? And what are you looking for when you're on these visits? Um, we have a, a summary and a, a look-for sheet that we use, but in some, it's basically places of joy, places where there's consistent messaging, consistent um, delivery, consistent mission, um, and really intentionality about giving each individual student something that's going to be relevant for them now as well as in their in their years to come. Um, yeah. I know you have a guess, couple of, of look-fors that, you, that well, stand out to you. In my school visits today, you know, what I most look for is evidence of powerful learning. You know, are a very high percentage of students for a high percentage of their time engaged in really meaningful uh, and powerful work. You know, I like to think about how how many students are going to remember what they were working on today, 20 years from now. You know, are they really doing work that um, that matters? Absolutely, and I think you you and I both agree that it doesn't matter what the content is always. But it, it, are they engaged in something that's really powerful and important? That's a great way to yep. to summarize. And yep, for sure. Um, Emily, we've been we've been in um, well over a hundred schools this year, and um, we've sketched out ten lessons that we can that we can derive from those uh, amazing visits. So why don't you kick us off with lesson number one? It goes without saying, the most profound lesson we've learned this year and from previous years is that culture reigns supreme. Culture is key. The the most um, outstanding leaders we talk to, if you ask them what's the secret sauce, they'll say, 
it's a lot of different ingredients, but the most important one that stands out is, is culture. Yeah, we last week we visited Randy Hollenkamp at uh, Bulldog Tech in uh, San Jose in the Evergreen School District, and Randy said, culture, 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 it's just key. I remember uh, last year when we we pulled together a guide to opening great new schools, and we surveyed about 100 experts on school development, and a resounding number one answer was uh, was culture is key. I, yeah, I think it's, it's that funny that it... Per- it permeates beyond just what we might superficially think is, oh, we all believe in these, you know, that there's this culture. You know, even from the office staff right down to the families walking into the door every single day to, you know, drop off their students, the, the, the culture just permeates every single thing that they do, right? Yeah. It's deep. It's, it's important to remember that culture is not a slogan on the wall. It's really the cumulative effect of your your shared values, both the ones that are stated and enacted, your policies and structures, your incentives and supports, the formal and informal communication, um, it, it's the building and whether it's clean, um, you know, it's how people treat each other. It's all of those things uh, yield a, a culture. So it's it's profoundly complex, but it is something that you can gauge quickly and pretty accurately in the first 30 seconds. Absolutely. And and I think morale then is, rises and that um, the good rises to the top as well when the culture and atmosphere um, is, working, is working in a way that's supporting students, teachers, families, and the like. So, yeah, I definitely right. say number one is, is culture, but... Um, Closely related, number two... Lesson number two. Students are known and cared for. Um, I think that this is something you've experienced a lot of lately, um, as have I, but in particular, a recent trip to Philadelphia, you called me right after a visit and just said, Emily, there's this place called Science and Leadership Academy that you, you, you don't even understand. These students are known, cared for, and, and they feel committed to, to being at the school and making their, their teachers proud and, and vice versa. Yeah, it's. I'd have to put that at the top of my school visit uh, list this year. Just super impressed with the young people at that school and the beautiful culture and the structures that exist to make sure that every student is known and cared for. But I think back a, a month ago when we were at Thrive Public Schools in San Diego and how intentional Nicole Assisi is about making sure that every young person that walks through the door is acknowledged in the first hour and has a, a chance to talk to an advisor, to a group, that it's it's a stated part of their common practice that every student is uh, acknowledged, that every student has a chance to uh, to give voice to either what's working for them or what uh, concerns they bring to school, but being so intentional about making sure that kids feel known and cared for it just seems uh, really really important sure and, and on a deeper level you know not beyond just even knowing what's going on with a student at home or knowing where they came from or who they want to be but then actually manifesting things in the day and in instructional practices that help students 
tackle those challenges or get to where they want to be going beyond the superficial, um, sebaceous level and getting deeper. We see that happen at both those places, SLA, Science Leadership Academy, and Thrive, as well as other schools we visited. So we're going to shift gears and talk about uh, uh, some of the architectural elements, the design elements, if you will. Uh, Lesson number three is that grade schools have a foundational set of ideas, an important set of ideas that succinctly describe a common sense of mission and purpose. This is something that you can describe in five seconds or you can unpack in a in a five-hour staff development day. Uh, but it, it's really, really important. It's, it's a lesson I first learned at High Tech High. Larry Rosenstock would call this a, a common intellectual mission. Um, a lot of people have read Simon Sinek, that, that sense of why, but these foundational ideas uh, create a sense of purpose. They create a sense of focus. Um, I was in a school this morning that lacked a sense of purpose. It, it felt like a school that was sleepwalking. Um, it felt like a compliance environment, not a purposeful environment. Uh, and and yeah. every good school that we've seen just is is really good at describing their why. The the last thing I'll add is just that what's so interesting is that these can be described quite differently. That some include a, a theme or uh, uh, an industry cluster, some um, uh, describe a pedagogy, some a mixture of the two. Um, so th- th- this can be done quite differently and quite uniquely, but it's important that every school have a, a, a powerful set of ideas that animate uh, its purpose. Agreed. I mean, I think the idea, too, here is pick a lane and go hard, right? And you can diverge and iterate from that lane, but do something. Um, Katie Martin, um, also a San Diego native, said in her book, Learner Center Innovation, when you go to a school and you ask, what's the goal here? What does good learning look like to you? And no one has an answer. That's a problem for her, right? People need to have a common idea. If you tell students you're here, you know, to learn and that's ambiguous and they don't aren't able to couch in their minds what the goals are, the educators' goals are for them, really what they're striving towards, you do get this kind of dull drum, why are we here? And so I agree that that's one of our best lessons learned from these schools that we visited is, yeah, pick a lane and go hard and um, you can pivot from that lane, um, but give some, yeah. give some structure and support there so people know what you're all striving towards and what your values are. Yeah. You know, when we were in Denver, we we love Grant Beacon Middle School. Great turnaround story in that public school district. And, and I love how they decided early on that they were going to focus on personalized learning and on character development and on extended learning, and that that really formed the backbone of that, that growing network. Um, but they were really careful to focus on one of those each year as they built uh, out that uh, that turnaround story. So, you know, they started with the end in mind, but they worked in in phases to sort of unpack that uh, that theme because each you know each of those elements are are kind of complicated in their own right. Absolutely. And then I'm tempted to move on to lesson four, which is somewhat related, yeah. um, right. but important to be distinct about this is that number four, getting really intentional about outcomes. 
So if you have these set of values and foundational ideas, you also still need to be really clear on, on what the goal is and um, seeing, seeing students through to that goal. Um, so really intentional about, about outcomes. Do you have some examples of that? Well, we do. We, we like um, schools that have developed a, a graduate profile that describes both succinctly and then can be unpacked in, in terms of the question, what should kids know and be able to do? Um, we're, we're a big fan of the leadership schools in, uh, in Albuquerque. There's one called ACE focused on construction and another one on, on health and great examples of community connected, uh, schools that are trying to help kids that have not been successful in other schools connect to, to uh, to job clusters, so a real sense of purpose about the kids that they're serving, the industry clusters that they're aiming at, and and then they get really specific about student learning goals around those. And providing them opportunities, like Sarah B. Good STEM Academy in Chicago, where they say, we're not just going to give you an internship, we're going to get you a job <laughs> with right. IBM or with another company and give you the skills. So they're really intentional about those outcomes and not just saying we're going to help prepare you, but we are going to get you yep. there and we're going to support you beyond our four walls and once you leave our doors. Um, super important. Yeah. We see a lot of work with Battelle um, and other organizations supporting the development of these grad profiles, which is, is really integral to being intentional about outcomes. Right, but Zell has the portrait of a graduate.org, which is a great gallery of, of schools and districts that have developed a profile and a great roadmap on how to get there. Uh, you know, when you look at that site, you think mostly of high schools, but you and I took a group to Catherine Smith, uh, a great project-based elementary school in San Jose last week, and that's an example of a elementary school, part of the New Tech Network, that has a, a beautiful, well-developed graduate profile. So they're really intentional about what those uh, sixth graders should know and be able to do when they move on. Yeah, their first graders can tell you <laughs> what's on their grad yeah. profile. Can't they? they can, yeah. and, and they can explain it in a student exhibition that they do a couple times a year. We'll come back to that. Um, Absolutely. Lesson number five is that once you get clear about purpose and once you get clear about what kids should know and be able to do, we, we've found that it's really important that the structures uh, support that deep work to get at the student learning outcomes. So the key is that in most schools, it's hard to do deep work. Teachers have to run this obstacle course of schedules. It's hard to go. You know, we're both fans of place-based learning. It's hard to get out of the building because you don't have enough time or you don't have the resources. Internships are, are really hard to, to schedule. They take time, right? And so it's when, when we were at Vox, uh, big picture in, in Philadelphia, a great uh, part of the school district of Philadelphia, uh, they're just really intentional about internships. They're part of the basic structure uh, and expectation of that school. So that's what we mean by building structures that support deep work and make them uh, make deep work routine, not an exception. And a lesson, this lesson also makes me think of the leaders when there was a structure that was inhibiting deep work from happening, 
the leaders at the school don't view it as an excuse to not getting to the deep work. They do everything they can to dismantle that existing policy structure or roadblock and say, well, we're going to figure it out because the end goal needs to be deep work for all students. Um, I think of Simon at the workshop school where he said, well, our students were getting good work experience in the school. They requested internships. They haven't been able to get some of the internships because they're not 18. We're going to figure it out. So the um, the no excuses mindset, but not in the traditional way of how we think about that. No excuses to getting to deep work. And uh, that that brings us to um, lesson number six: shared work. Um, th- this is an example of high stakes testing, if you will. It you know it's making work public, making it important, but uh, doing it around uh, deep work, not uh, worksheets, not um, multiple choice tests. So, any favorite examples of of making work public lately? Uh, well, it's not as of late, but last year I spent time in London at School Twenty One, and the exp- exhibition night was literally like going to Disney World for me. There were parents wow. and students going in and out of classrooms. Um, just sharing stuff that they've been working on. And then the best part of really strong examples of when people share their work or when students share their work is that they were actively getting feedback so that the project wasn't done. It was this extended challenge that they they knew they were going to go back to. It wasn't finished, and they cared so much that they, you know, saying, hey, grandma, grandpa, community member, look what I did. I need your help. How can I make this better? Because I care so much about the walking path in my city or I care so much about the new green space that we've helped develop. So um, it was a leader there who said the most important thing is, you know, have the students make their work public, share their processes, and practice and polish, um, you know, those presentations. Yep. saw a lot of this in Philadelphia and the, the 10 uh, schools that- that work together in the innovation network there. They are all deeply committed to sharing work. Um, the schools in the in the new tech network that we've talked about, Bulldog and Catherine Smith and the 200 others, um, all feel that, that sharing work is important. Really, all of the schools in the deeper learning network, uh, including Envisions and, and EL Education and a lot of this really started with uh, uh, with High Tech High and uh, Larry's deep commitment to, to public work. Absolutely. And um, Share Your Learning is one campaign and initiative that we will tag um, in the blog, but that is really pushing to encourage students to share their work not only in exhibitions, but in student-led conferences and in presentations of their work, both to their peers, but also their community. We all know that when students share their work with their community, it infinitely increases engagement and makes them realize the meaning and value of of what they're doing. Like you said, Tom, does this work matter 20 years from now? It will if it's a public product. Right. So check that out at uh, shareyourlearning.org. You can find it on hashtag shareyourlearning. Uh, they're, They're on Twitter at uh, at Share Your Learning, so check that out. Great examples there. Lesson number seven that I just saw at uh, the the last school that I visited a few minutes ago. Talent matters. Talent, talent, talent. That if if you hire uh, and support great teachers, um, they will do great work. 
It's uh, it's all part of creating creating that culture of high challenge, high support. And uh, I think uh, talented teachers are how you uh, create that balance between expecting the the most of of every student every day, right? Helping every student find and and deploy their superpowers and creating the the really strong supports to do that. That uh, that takes uh, teacher talent. I think of two people, and I'll be brief, but Alec Barron in San Diego yep. and uh, Escondido Unified. You know, we went to visit him to learn about a badging system he was using, and we were really excited about that. And then he had 20 questions for us because he was thinking yeah. so deeply about the work and is such a an, an expert and a learner himself that we were blown away by how lucky the students are that are, you know, get to work with him because he cares so deeply. And then I think about the team at Energy Institute High in Houston ISD where they're doing um, energy-related projects, um, really strong PBL, and they are so engrossed in making the content relevant and the projects relevant that they created their own <laughs> PBL process. They went out and secured all of their own partners, and it really is just everything. They eat, breathe, and sleep um, is is this work, and really smart, professional human beings. I'm really proud to have them working with students. You know, I, I want to underscore the importance of uh, professional learning opportunities, and I, I love to point out Summit uh, Public Schools on this front, just their deep commitment to weeks of, uh, of professional learning opportunities for their teachers and how they structure it into their day and their week and their, uh, and their year. So hiring great talent and then, uh, really investing, uh, in talent. And then closely related to that is, uh, lesson number eight, distributed leadership. Um, I was just in Singapore at, uh, Singapore American School and I love what, what's happened there in the last three years is that um, over 160 of the 400 faculty members are now in a leadership role, either a a discipline or skill band or a a grade level uh, leadership team or an extracurricular role. But uh, I I love how they've broadened the, uh, the leadership roles. And in all the school districts that we have uh, visited, we've seen great examples of this. Um, I think of uh, Albemarle County, where Pam Moran really made this a, a priority of identifying and, and leveraging uh, teacher leaders and em- empowering school leaders. We saw it in uh, Mesa uh, County in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, another great example of a district that built a frame but has really invited schools to grow into that frame and a, a great example of uh, distributed leadership. Sure, and as you said, there's um, a lot of these schools are able to distribute the leadership because the talent matters, right? Because of lesson right. number seven, they hire great talent and they trust in their educators and then they build and support those educators. Um, Opportunity Culture, which is based in North Carolina, is trying to do this yeah. in a lot of districts. Um, check them out, trying to figure out ways and pathways to encourage this type of leadership. Right, opportunityculture.org. 
Um, number number nine uh, is the learning environments matter. Uh, and Emily, I think one remarkably visual trend that we've seen in uh, in 2018 is uh, um, real changes to the physical learning environment. Where possible, people are knocking down walls. This is ha- this happens in all the the new tech schools, but we also saw it in Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay Unified, where they're connecting classrooms to facilitate uh, competency-based movement uh, within big uh, uh, grade spans. But we're also seeing, um, in addition to big uh, flexible spaces, we're seeing a real movement to um, new seating arrangements, uh, high top and low top and hard and soft and bean bags and just a lot more um, flexible seating options for students, uh, a lot more attention being paid to uh, natural light, um, light, airy spaces. And so just a, a lot of physical evidence that the learning environment matters a lot. Loved uh, last week when we were in Envision's uh, City Arts School in San Francisco, uh, it was really an old school, but they made it uh, come alive with lots of uh, beautiful art on the walls, sort of messages of open diversity everywhere. So a great example of an old building that uh, had been given new life and sort of spoke to the, the mission and purpose of that school. Absolutely. And I think also um, one thing I also notice is that a lot of the schools, particularly like in Albemarle, um, they would say that we initially thought this all would cost a lot of money, but then they're finding either people are donating furniture, they're going to Goodwill, or they're constantly changing the materials instead of buying some super expensive piece and they're and they're flipping or revamping existing furniture or putting tile board from Home Depot on top of tables. So it's not always requiring a ton a ton of money. Um, I'll also say the same goes for what you just said about Envision. They're taking old brick-and-mortar buildings and getting paint and sprucing things up and just making it an enjoyable place to be. Um, so the notion is it costs money, but that's not always the case. So the, the last lesson is that partnerships matter. I think every school and district that we have talked about has deep and extensive partnerships You know, they try to focus on um, their core mission and what they're good at, and they really rally partners to help them on uh, on other activities. Uh, You mentioned Sarah Good in Chicago, a great example of a P-TECH school that works with IBM to facilitate work experiences. Uh, We had a great visit to Purdue Polytech, a, a great new high school in Indianapolis, and they have a really productive relationship with Purdue University that helps them academically and with dual enrollment, and a mm-hmm. lot of their students go on to Purdue. Uh, I also think well. of some of the XQ schools that um, have been the school in Memphis Crossroads that is working to partner with businesses, partner with community members, because they know that the students are going to need the access to those partnerships for if and when they um, are no longer at that school. I find those examples of partnerships to be compelling as well, um, not just to provide internships, but to grow student networks. Yeah, and every school that we've talked about has really thick um, youth and and family supports, and those are um, almost always backed up by some uh, community 
partners, so a, a thick web of support. Also in its uh, partnership category, I, I want to nod at uh, Julia Freeland Fisher's new book, uh, Who You Know, about social capital. We had a couple people that mentioned that today, and we're seeing as a, a result, in, in part of a, a result of her new book, um, more people paying attention to help helping young people build social capital uh, and create access to uh, to businesses for uh, work-based learning experiences. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny when I look at this list and reflect on the 10, Tom, you know, it's not a textbook. It's not a set curriculum. It's none of those things, right? Nope. It's a, but it's, it's really, it, you could think of it as collective action, right? It's, uh, it's partnerships around a, a clear sense of purpose and a stated and shared set of goals. Absolutely. And then people who care about students, people who are invested in their current lives, their current education and their, and their future and what's to come. Um, all while thinking about how they can provide those powerful learning experiences in uh, enjoyable places to learn, just like you or I would like to be in um, and a part of. Emily, it's been a terrific year of school visits. Thanks for setting all these school visits up. You, we've, we've had the chance to bring hundreds of people to, you know, uh, over 100 schools, and it's uh, it's been a terrific year. Thank you. Absolutely, and uh, if you're listening, look forward to the spring. Um, we may be offering some opportunities for others to join us um, just because we think these trips are so powerful. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you out there at the schools. If you want to learn more about uh, some of the schools we like, check out 100 uh, middle and high schools worth visiting. We recently just updated our list of elementary and middle schools worth visiting. We have a list of 70 that we posted a few weeks ago. In uh, the next few days, we'll be posting a list of uh, 15 school districts that are uh, worth visiting. So lots of great school visit resources on gettingsmart.com. And in the show notes, we'll also post uh, a list of our school look-fors. So go visit some schools uh, or go visit a classroom uh, close to you. There's great things happening in your in your building, in, uh, in your town, and, uh, and all across this country. Absolutely. We learn something from every school we visit. Great. Thanks, Emily. Safe travels. We want to thank all of the schools that hosted us this year. We learned a lot from them and are pleased that we could help tell their story. For a list of schools to visit, check out our 100 middle and high schools and 70 elementary and middle schools blogs. For a list of schools to visit, check out our 100 middle and high schools and 70 elementary and middle schools to visit blogs. We've got them linked in the show notes and on the blog. And if you visited a school doing some great work and want to share their story, email us at editor at gettingsmart.com. We'd love to help. And one last thing, don't forget to rate and review the podcast so we can get better and more of your friends can find us. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.